Welcome to the Podcast Potables Network. You are listening to Process Potables, brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter and untapped at Process Potables and on Instagram at Podcast Potables Network. We have also created a Twitch where we are streaming a lot of our content now simultaneously with the podcast. So if you want to watch us live, not tonight, of course, but uh, working on getting it up and going more and more each week, you can follow us on Twitch at Podcast Potables Network as well. Make sure to check out our other shows, such as Post Game Potables, where we recap every Eagles game immediately after it happens, Power Bombs and Potables, our weekly professional wrestling podcast, and our biggest show taking off doing really well lately is Punches and Potables, covering UFC and MMA and all things in that realm, so make sure to check all of those out. For news, blog posts, info on breweries we've worked with, and much more, check out www.processpotables.com. Process Potables is on tap. Cheers, everybody. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Process Potables. My name is Dan Morgan. I am joined by my usual co-host, Steve Jones, and a very special guest returning to the pod once again is our friend, Ty Dalbert. You can follow him on Twitter. It's just at, at, at Ty Dalbert, right, Ty? Yes, sir. Nice and easy. Uh, Ty, what's going on? Welcome back. Thanks for coming back. It's been a while since we've had you on, but we're very excited because what we're talking about today is, uh, you know, in, in the depths of our general conversation for a long time and feels like a dream come true at this point. Yeah, but like you said, some interesting stuff has happened with the Sixers lately. I'm glad to be on talking with you guys. Once again, it's been it's been too long, so I'm happy to to get into it. I'm happy that I could break that news to you the other day, and I'm excited to elaborate a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll jump into that, and this episode is going to be pretty free flowing. We don't really have a set rundown. We're just going to kind of get you know anything off our chest, anything that we're excited about, or anything else we we hope is still to come potentially. But a lot of shakeup, obviously, within the Sixers organization continues, and we will have a lot of quotes and reports for you on the same. Uh, Steve, coming back to you, it's Sunday night. We've got the Eagles in a little under two hours, so we've got a lot of work still ahead of us, but uh, taking our minds off of the Dallas Cowboys and uh, their Olive Garden uh, working <laughs> third-string quarterback who apparently wants wants us to bring it, bring it on or, or send the house or something, which I, I can't imagine why, if you're that guy, you would open your mouth this week, but... Uh, here we are. So your thoughts on you know Sunday night, getting ready for the Eagles, but ready to talk about our beloved Sixers, who I I believe you know are going to be back in the good graces of most, yeah. if not all, people. So now wait, I, I do have to ask real quick: did, did he really work at Olive Garden, or, or no? I've just been making that okay. up all week, and people are going with it. So. Yeah, but I mean, I okay, if it's not Olive Garden, it's probably like Outback Steakhouse, you know? Like sure. It's, yeah, and you weren't even the best quarterback on your college team, bro, when you were drafting the seventh round, like. Come on, uh, but otherwise I'm 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 feeling good. Um, I this this news, what's been going on with the Sixers is kind of encouraging, kind of weird, but um, a good weird, I guess you could say. So I'm I'm pretty excited to have uh, Daryl Morey because that that what seemed like a pipe dream is now true. So all right, well Steve, Steve just giving it away, so we'll we'll jump right into that one. That is obviously the biggest thing on our plate to cover is that Daryl Morey will be announced tomorrow as the president of basketball operations for the Sixers. He will sign a five-year deal per Sham Sharania. Ty, do you want to explain how you made me aware of this happening? Yeah, sure. So I, I think I've been talking to Dan and other people about how the Phil, about how the Sixers should pick up Daryl Morey, I guess, as soon as he stepped down from the Rockets. And it always seemed a little far-fetched that it would never really happen. But I was actually driving the other day when the Woj 
tweet dropped that it was looking like they were going to come to a deal. And my fellow podcast co-host at, over at Phillies Nation, Johnny Heller, gave me a call and asked me if I saw it. And I thought he was kidding me at first. And he wasn't. It. I, I got to a stop sign. I checked my phone. And there it was that Sixers were nearing a deal with Daryl Morey. And one of the first things I did was I think I just sent a text to Dan and all it said was Daryl. I, th- I think that's the only thing that um, it said. Yep. And, sure and Dan, Dan goes ahead. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I think I just said Daryl Morey. And Dan was like, uh, as in the no, Sixers got him. And you, you and said Daryl. And then I said, what? And you said, check Twitter. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. like, I'm driving. Are you talking about Daryl Morey? Because obviously that's the first guy that would come to my head on a, on a regular day, not thinking about the Sixers at all. Yeah, Daryl. That's all I had to say, Daryl. So you knew, you knew, knew who it was. Deep down in my soul, I knew. And I almost crashed my car as I was getting off the exit ramp of uh, 55, uh, just thinking about it and being overwhelmed with excitement. So was I the only person then who was checking their phone while driving, getting excited when I heard the news that that Prosper Karangwa is our new head player development? Is no one as excited for him? As yeah, that's, that sounds like you're on an island there, buddy. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. I don't. Oh, I don't. Well. I never use my phone and drive. I'm such a, a such a responsible person, <laughs> yep, as I'm sure everybody well. can tell. Yeah, would never do that. But nope. uh, very excited, obviously. You know, the Sixers are in a very difficult spot right now. So to expect anything too crazy immediately is is obviously probably getting ahead of ourselves. But when we've been talking for it feels like two or three years now about the the hellish situation that they're kind of in, I think you have to feel encouraged that if there's somebody that's going to be able to figure you know, a way out of this that I think most of us are at least going to understand and be able to get behind, whether it ends up bringing us what the goal is, which is obviously a championship will remain to be seen. But I think that this is just going to create a much more established uh, perspective from the front office as a whole. You're going to understand roles better. And you combine that with Doc Rivers and the coaching staff, which I want to get to a little bit as things fall into place there and and I think it just gives you a a lot of reason to be optimistic about a team that has given us very little reason to do so for quite some time yeah I mean Daryl Morey bringing him on that that changes that changes everything for the Sixers it it did feel exactly like a pipe dream that it, it never really would come and it looks like they're getting things back on track and at the very least, even if they don't figure it out, he is going to re- remain interesting, I think, throughout his tenure. His teams have always been super interesting. So we'll have stuff to talk about with this team no matter what, I think. Yeah, that's been one of the hardest things, too, especially for us lately. Is I mean, what, what do we talk about? We've been so distraught, and it's been it's been frustrating to even have to think about this team, that this is such a jolt of energy regardless of the outcome that for now at the very least it it just it gives you so much excitement and it opens so many possibilities and things and when I first heard this news that there were a couple things that immediately came to my mind so there were three questions I kind of needed answered and and some already have been but some have not so um, Steve I'll start with you the first thing that came to my mind when I when Ty broke this news to me essentially was what happens without Brand. Yeah, I, I, when I heard that news, so I'm like, okay, does this mean we're going to get another alert that Elton Brand's also going to be fired or let go just because, you know, Maury became available? And, you know, that's, and I'm sure we'll talk more about it in depth, but that's, that's certainly not the case, or at least it is, isn't for now. So, um, I guess Elton, he kind of, you know what, um, to put it, he kind of is in that like Sam Hinkie role when, when they brought in, um, you know, old man Colangelo to kind of run the show. And, you know, he kind of had files say, and I think he wasn't quite like, you know, the the most important voice in the room. So I think that's kind of what's happening to Elton here a little bit. He'll definitely have some say, but it'd be really interesting to see if he really challenges uh, more when it comes to personnel decision trades and things of that nature. Well, yeah, I'll definitely talk about what, it inevitably will be now that we have more news. But Ty, 
Um, coming back to you, because I'm pretty sure one of the first things I said to you was, oh, man, what about Elton? So before some of the news that has come out since, which we're going to get to some quotes, what what was your initial thought after Daryl of what you figured would be the case for Elton Brand? Yeah, I think I kind of figured that, that Elton Brand would still be around, and it would be kind of the senior or the the president of basketball operations with the with the GM kind of dual role there with somebody clearly in charge of the basketball operations but a, a general manager is still there doing a lot of the work and because they talked so much about how much they believed in in Elton kind of throughout the offseason since the season ended and how much how much he seemed in charge as of late. I, I figured that he would still be around in some kind of important role. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll be honest with you guys. I was not so sure when the news inevitably broke. And believe me, if if for some reason you would have told me, hey, it comes down to either Daryl Morey or Elton Brand, I'm going to ride with Daryl Morey. But I, I, I have been pretty favorable toward Elton Brand despite some of the things not working out because I do think that ultimately I don't think he's a GM that's trying to just save his job I don't think he's a GM that's looking to just kind of you know straggle the line so to speak I think he wants to win I think he's aggressive and you know he's gotten hurt a little bit on some deals but he's made some good ones as well so I wasn't ready to give up on him at the very least and so uh, we found out today again from Shams that Elton Brand has signed a multi-year contract extension as well, which doesn't necessarily mean that you know he he sees all that through, but it does definitely seem, at least for now, that they want to see how him and Maury work together. And what I found very interesting was uh, formerly of NBC Sports Philadelphia, Paul Hudrick had an interesting tweet today where he said that. Quote, I'm told Elton Brand encouraged Josh Harris to reach out to Maury because he wants to win. Everyone in the organization, ownership, staff, and players respects Elton Brand. He also told Maury, uh, also told Maury believes Elton Brand can help him and that Brand is ready to learn from Maury. So it's exciting to see that those two, at least for now, are going to look to work together and try to right the ship here. And Ty, when I was, I think I was talking to you about this it, before I had heard any of this. When you first told me about Maury, was that I, I also would not have minded if Elton kind of went into the Howie Roseman role when Chip Kelly came in mm-hmm. to the Eagles and kind of you know moves all his stuff to the another side of the building and just watched and kind of proud and and learned all he could learn and and really got a better feel for the job and and how to do it because you know Brand comes in with very little experience. We know that. He he was working with the Blue Coats and, and was very, very quickly plucked from there to walk right into the Sixers front office. So, you know, he does not come from a, a, a big background of having done this. And so I give him credit for how much he's done with not much experience. But I think that there still will be a lot for him to learn. And because we've been so frustrated with the Sixers front office structure, it's, it's fair to be critical of Elton Brand, but they also set him up to fail in the sense that there was no structure or person here to kind of guide him through. If you're going to bring in someone with no experience, you need to have, you know, established pieces in other places to offset that. And they didn't, but now they do between Daryl Morey and even the coaching staff with Doc Rivers and alike where, you know, Doc Rivers has always had a, a good amount of say in personnel because of his uh, you know, re- resume and having a title and things like that, that, you know, this should be a very cohesive group and we haven't had that for quite some time. So I think it's something to be very, very excited about. When we look to the coaching staff, it looks like it's coming to formation as it looks like Sam Cassell, uh, Dan Burke and Dave Yeager are all on board uh, to be a part of this coaching staff, Sam Cassell comes with Rivers from Los Angeles. Dan Burke comes from Indiana as an assistant coach. And Jaeger is a former coach of the Memphis Grizzlies and the Sacramento Kings. So pretty established names. Burke known to be a defensive guy. Sam Cassell we know from a player was an, an elite scoring point guard. Uh, so probably more on the offensive end and also a guy that definitely seems like he would be valuable to work with guards and, and possibly even Ben Simmons. 
and Dave Yeager, who was known pretty well for having a good defense in Memphis. And I mean, you know, I don't know if you can say much about what he did in Sacramento with the mess that that franchise is, but it does seem like despite the uh, outcome of what happened there, that he is a pretty highly coveted coach and respected coach and, and has done a pretty good job. So Steve, when you, when you see these kinds of names coming in, do you get a better sense? Not, I mean, not only just of a Doc Rivers versus Brett Brown comparison one to one, but when you look at the people being put in place around Doc Rivers, does this give you a greater sense of of, of possibility with a coaching staff with established names like this versus where Brett Brown? I mean, we came to appreciate a lot of the coaches he had, and they all went on. Uh, to be very successful, uh, several of them getting head coaching jobs in other places, but none of them were really names at the time, and now you're bringing in people that already seem to be established, successful, and respected around the league. Yeah, I agree, because we're definitely in the point now with this franchise where we can't really afford to to take on too many players or time to let them, you know, to, to develop them. Like, they just, they got to get good now. And that could be kind of said, for the coaching staff as well. You bring I'm really excited for Sam Cassell. He was the guy that like back in the day when he played for the Bucks and they played against the Sixers like he he just like really pissed you off as a player. Like he he just always for lack of a better word always like nagged people on defense and he could, you know, score the ball really really well and I think what you know, I'm sure his offensive skills as a player, I'm sure he uh can teach that uh, you know, to a certain extent. So I think that would be really, really good for Ben. And I, for, who was the um, assistant coach we got from Indiana? I already Dan forget. Burke. Yeah, Dan Burke. You uh, sent me the article about him, and he's just one of those guys, like, I didn't really know the name, and maybe people outside of Indiana basketball didn't really know who he was. But I read that, I'm like, wow, like, this guy's been around. Like, he's he's like one of those lifers as an assistant coach that's probably, like, a lot of coaches – um throughout sports have on their staff. They have that guy, like, he has no interest in being a head coach. He's really good at one certain skill set. Also a good guy to kind of, you know, bring any kind of cohesion if there's issues between players and coaches together. Like, he's like, you know, that that guy that just is always around and a really good resource. So to get someone like that usually uh, speaks volumes. I mean, to be an assistant coach anywhere for over 20 years it was, it's unheard of. Um and with uh, Dave Yeager, I um, I I know a lot. A few people had him up there with uh, head coaching options before we got Doc. The thing I didn't like about him was, uh, you know, ke- chemistry between players, and you know, not really good locker room vibes. But um, you know, like you said earlier, Dan, that that franchise Sacramento is a complete mess. So. I kind of take that with a grain of salt. And, I mean, I don't really see an assistant coach, you know, those problems coming through as an assistant. And if he can just do his job establishing a really, you know, high and tight uh, defense, I think that's going to pay off. So while Brett did have a lot of guys that we come to love and appreciate, Doc is bringing in a lot of really good guys under his belt that's uh, from day one going to have a lot of confidence in. Ty, I, 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 if you want to speak to any of the coaches, I will obviously allow you, but uh, I, I'm sure you're going to want to talk about Dan Burke a little bit. Yeah, that's the only one that I, I really want to talk about. I think it's great that Joel Embiid already dunked on him for his comments from, I think, last year when he basically said that he hated the Sixers and he thinks that the the league lets Embiid and, and the whole team get away with a lot of crap. He says something to that effect. So. Yeah, I, th- I think I have it. It was December of last year, and I think I have it here. Let me see if this works. To me, that's the takeaway. And, and, and it wasn't because of Philly. It's because of where we want to go. And, uh, yeah, I hate that team. I really wanted to win that game. Um, I think Embiid gets away with a bunch of crap the league ignores. And uh, it would have been a good one to just walk away from. That was December, uh, December 2nd of 2019. That he said that, and as soon as the announcement was made, it looks like it was Tim Bontemps who made the announcement that the Sixers are hiring Pacers assistant coach Dan Burke. Uh, Burke joins Grizzlies and Kings coach Dave Yeager on Doc Rivers' coaching staff. Joel Embiid obviously had to quote tweet this and say, Yes, sir, with three exclamation points. Now we can enjoy together what the league 
lets me get away with. Hashtag <laughs> Philly forever. Yeah, that's definitely what you like to see. But on a little more serious note, um, if if Dan Burke is really this great defensive coordinator that a lot of people are saying that he is, I'm, I'm no expert on him or anything, uh, but combining a good defensive coach with one of the best defensive players in the league in Joel Embiid, his rim protecting abilities are basically matched by about two, three other players in the entire league, I would say. Um, putting those two together, two really great defensive minds, I think that could be a good combination uh, aside from the aside from the jokes and the comments made uh, in the past year or so. And something I, I thought was interesting is anyone who usually says something like that, like, oh, you know, I hate everything he gets away with. You know, obviously when you're coaching against somebody like that, you know, you hate those things, but you also still have to study those things and you have to try to, you know, either exploit them or find what you can exploit and coach your players up the same. So I would like to think now on the other side of it that either he's going to have a pretty good perspective on, you know, what guys are going to do against him or how he can exploit the things he gets away with even more having paid attention to it. So I like that that kind of idea of somebody that was bothered by it so much that they needed to open their mouth like that. That what did he even mean by they? What did they get? Let him get away with? I, I, don't, I don't even know what it was about. I I, I honestly don't. You know, know, I mean, he didn't say anything demoralizing, and it's the type of thing, as in you know, all other sports and teams. Like when your team's losing against you know an, the other team, and they have like one of the best players in the league, you're always going to say, "I hate that guy. I just really want to win this game." Yeah, he gets away with so and so. Like that's something. All fans have said at one point or another about any other player. Yeah, you don't so. hear you, yeah, that, yeah. fans. Like fans like say it. you don't really hear coaches say it too much. Not that explicitly. Yeah, I sure. think that's what made it really kind of stick out a little bit. I get, I get what you're saying, and there's definitely some truth to that. But that's definitely something that tends to come not really from assistant coaches in Indiana about actual specific players like that. It was very specific, and and pretty you know petty for what it's worth if you ask me more than i feel like you kind of get oh very funny uh and my favorite thing about all this is you know screw the coaching talk like if if joel's gonna get back to you know quote tweeting these things and having fun with them i mean that's when i think he's really at his best as far as his mindset and everything so i mean i just want to see our king thrive and have fun and this this was a great uh you know time to see that when we haven't seen much of it lately obviously between the disappointing end of the season and, and, you know, things off the court that happened with Joel Embiid that I don't will not even mention on this podcast because they're <laughs> so upsetting. So uh, any thoughts on Sam Cassell or Dave Yeager? For me, not much. Just, you know, they're all or they're both really well respected around the league. I think they're both really good hires. And I, I think, like you said, they've they've put together a really good veteran coaching staff. Not that I, I thought the last coaching staff was bad either, but uh, maybe bringing in these guys, uh, guys that have been around for a while, coached some good players, and in Cassell's case, he was a really good player. I think that could be good for the team. Steve, any additional thoughts on Cassell or Jaeger? Oh, no, I think I pretty much said everything. I, I just, uh, again, I, I'm kind of like a uh, secret Sam Cassell and I, I hated him back in the day, but it's because I really like how he played the game. And I just, it, it'd be kind of uh, ironic in a way, at least for me and maybe some other, uh, you know, Sixers fans who've been around for a while. If he, of all people, Sam Cassell is the one that can get Ben Simmons to become uh, more aggressive, uh, you know, shooting from three or just, you know, from outside. Let Sam Cassell suit up. Yeah, honestly, he could probably <laughs> still be our backup point guard and he'd be better yeah. than a lot of yeah, us. Yeah, I mean, he looks like he's in good shape. With. Yeah. Yeah, I don't hate that at all. Okay, uh, I want to ask you guys about a couple other things regarding the coaching staff and some other questions that came up to me when I heard about the addition of Daryl Morey. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break with a word from our sponsor, the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Who's the next person you know who will be buying or selling a home? Have them contact the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway for the most trusted process when it comes to real estate in New Jersey. Call today, 856-904-5636, that's 856-904-5636, and mention Process Potables for exclusive savings. 
All right, guys. So the next thing, and I I didn't know this till today. Um, I've definitely been slacking a little bit, but uh, Ma Udoka, who was still like technically on this staff well after Brett uh, being fired, and it it seemed like it was pretty clear he wasn't going to remain. But I really didn't know what exactly was going to happen with him. And there were some people that were you know whispering or even clamoring for him to potentially be in the head coaching conversation. Uh, is now going to join Steve Nash's staff in Brooklyn. Reported by Woj, Mike D'Antoni and M.A. Udoka are finalizing deals to become assistant coaches under Steve Nash with the Brooklyn Nets. Sources tell ESPN. Together, D'Antoni and Nash were the architects of the seven seconds or less offense with the Phoenix Suns in the mid-2000s. So we talked a lot about the Nets you know, early last season, obviously knowing that Kevin Durant wasn't going to play that year, but basically the idea that we were only getting that one year before they possibly became a threat. So now you have Kyrie Irving, you have Kevin Durant, and you have this coaching staff of Nash, D'Antoni, and now M.A. Udoka heads there. Do you guys buy Brooklyn at all, or do you? is this not really important to you? I buy them. I do buy them. I'm higher on Kyrie than I think a lot of people are. People like to to get their jokes off about him, but I think he's really good. We'll we'll have to see about KD. That's a obviously a tough injury to come back from. But when you have players that skilled, and you have uh, who knows what Nash will be, but Mike D'Antoni is a he he's a good offensive coach, one of the greatest of all time. You saw what he did with his current head coach. So I, I, I like it a lot. Udoka, people people like uh, what he brings to the table defensively. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be a great team on defense, especially There's with, no way. Especially no. with Kevin Durant uh, coming off that injury. If they can put it together and just be serviceable on defense, I think that's a, I think that's a pretty good team. I guess uh, you got to be jealous to a little bit of an extent, right? Because he did not have one, but two members of the Brett Brown coaching tree and Mike D'Antoni and Ime Aduko under Steve Nash. So uh, even though Brett Brown, uh, I mean, no one's heard anything about him or from him, but his, his influence continues to live in the NBA uh, coaching tree. So that's uh, that's nice to hear. But uh, in all uh, seriousness, I think uh, Steve Nash with uh, D'Antoni is uh, – a really, really good pairing. Uh, I, I'm not sure if they'll be able to do this whole seven seconds or less offense with Kyrie and Durant. Uh, just, I, I mean, obviously they're both you know high profile among the best players in the league, but you know they're also not getting any younger. So I'm sure to an extent they're probably going to deviate that, from that. Um, and someone like Ime Duku, like like. You know, like you guys said, he. I don't expect him to uh, coach up Kyrie and KD to suddenly be these lockdown defenders. Uh, you, you get someone like that in your organization for player development, guys towards the end of the bench or, you know, uh, role players, things like that. They're, he's really going to come in, I think, to uh, coach uh, those guys up, especially on defense. Yeah, I mean, my, my biggest thing there is that I'm going to be very surprised to see how guys like Kevin Durant and, and Kyrie Irving deal with Steve Nash. And, I mean, my understanding is that Steve Nash has very little, if any, real coaching experience and is just walking in to this job. Was, and, wasn't he, like, announcing soccer? Yeah, he was a soccer al- uh, analyst yeah. for uh, TBS. Yeah, like, like this is kind of crazy years, to me. Yeah. And, and it's one of the same things that, when D'Antoni was here with Brett that worried me was that that looming presence was going to be a big problem. And I think that it's way more relevant there than it was here, where it really seemed like D'Antoni was kind of just trying to get in somewhere to reestablish himself. And he's now done that. And now coming here, it almost feels like Durant and Kyrie, obviously it sounds like pushed for Steve Nash for some reason, but I'm not sure that he's going to have a very long leash, and I definitely think that this feels like a Mike D'Antoni. Instead of waiting for the job to open up and applying, it's now he just has to wait for Steve Nash to go, and he's just going to be handed the keys without even doing anything. The the only thing I would – my only counter to that would be uh, KD when he won those titles with Golden State, Steve Kerr, uh, when Kyrie won one in Cleveland, uh, you know, Ty Lue was a coach, common denominator being there that they're both former players. 
And I guess for some reason, certain guys, especially maybe Kyrie and Kevin Durant, just respond the best to a guy who's younger, who can relate to them. Although Steve Nash can't relate to winning a title with them. So, well, right. Um, I'm, I'm, that's what I said. You I mean, know, Dur- so, Durant and, and Kyrie yeah. clearly wanted Nash. But if Nash has, I mean, let's say they don't, you know, uh, in the bottom half of the playoffs or don't make it this upcoming season and the next season struggle out the gate, I could very much see him getting yanked quick. And that's not going to be by Durant and Irving, but it's going to be by ownership when yeah. you have somebody like D'Antoni in the wings. That, that's really what my point is. We'll have to see how it plays out. I think I think the success of this team probably comes down to how good Kevin Durant is going to be. Typically with a an out there kind of coaching hire like, like Nash was, they don't have longest longest leash, especially when you have somebody like Mike D'Antoni, who's a Hall of Fame caliber coach when he's sitting right there in the second seat. Yeah, for sure. The last thing regarding kind of coaching and front office things, this just was written by Tom West for Liberty Ballers at looks like about less than an hour ago that the Sixers and Alex Rucker are parting ways. So uh, it looks like our friend Sixers Adam of Race of Ricky Sanchez reported around noon that Alex Rucker is out for a team source. Uh, as Daryl Morey enters one of the more pivotal front office names of the last few years' exits. This is something that has been rumored for a little while by Keith Pompey of the Inquirer, and Pompey confirmed it as well this afternoon. So it looks like Alex Rucker is out as changes continue to happen in the front office for the Sixers. Uh, Alex Rucker was the executive vice president of basketball operations, so now with Daryl Morey being the president of basketball ops, that position appears to be vacant. It'll be... You know, interesting to see if they fill it at all, and if so, if that's somebody that Maury brings in as kind of a right hand type of person to them, uh, if maybe it's something that could potentially also be an opening for maybe Elton Brand to to get experience in something like that as well. Uh, if he's going to be working closely with Daryl Maury, uh, you guys have any thoughts on Alex Rucker being out? So I'm I'm pretty happy about it because the less Colangelo guys are in the uh, office, the happier I am. Yep. So my understanding, and I only found this out right before we started the pod was because, so I was going to kind of play devil's advocate here with you guys. Cause I just kind of, you know, reading through the people that are in the front office, it seemed like there could be an argument made that there's almost too many voices, too many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak here. And now with Rucker out, I don't kind of have that fear or possibility in the back of my mind. And besides, if you want to consider Brand a uh, you know former Colangelo guy, I guess the only other person who's really there now is Ned Cohen. Uh, in my understanding, he's still the assistant GM. But <laughs> him being assistant GM when you have now Maury, Brand and then a Dinwiddie, who I I imagine he's got to be uh, the number three guy. I mean, assistant GM in this front office just isn't going to really carry much weight. Um, and maybe he's just a guy that maybe Elton is someone to lean on. And you said, Dan, that I guess Alex Rucker, being a former executive VP, I guess you could argue that maybe Dinwiddie being the senior VP kind of takes that, but then... Oh, sure. I forgot about Dinwiddie. Yeah, it's a but, good call by you. But then the other thing, too, is it seems like Brand hired you know, Dinwiddie and Karangwa, and you know maybe Ned Cohen's his guy. So maybe I could see Maury just having you know one of his own guys you know fill in another... you know. My understanding is you can have as many executive vice presidents as you want. In a well, yeah, the only thing is you have to pay them. Yeah, so unless you know there's some sort of uh, financial issues or restrictions because of COVID, or you know they just don't want to pay any former employees any more money, maybe they don't make that move. But yeah, maybe I think Maury uses that to just get his own guy to lean on. Josh Harris can pay as many executives as he wants that's well, fine yeah he me. can pay the executives he just can't pay the employees yep. uh, but um <laughs> <laughs> like like you were saying steve uh you know about maybe there there being too many voices in there and alex rucker not being there anymore that changes things but even if he was around i, d- I don't know if that necessarily really matters that much because instead of it being the kind of collaborative approach that it's been 
the last few years when Daryl Morey is the head of your basketball operations. I think everybody knows who's really in charge. So I, I don't know if that really would have been a huge problem or question this season and going forward because I think everybody knows that that Daryl Morey's the guy and he's the one with final say and he's the one that's going to be leading the way here. Yeah, uh, I don't I don't really care about this because I think even if he had remained, he wouldn't really be listened to. So, I mean, I guess the only thought is that maybe this frees up money to bring in somebody else who actually does understand basketball. So that would be fun. Well, if they, if they fired him, they probably still have to, to pay him the rest of his well, contract. That's, well, that's true. I mean, yeah. again, you know, none of us give a shit about how much money Josh Harris has to spend, but yeah, uh, especially if it means he sells the team at some point, which would be great. But please. Uh, moving back in, to his, Dar- in his defense, he's hired two very good GMs at, over the last 10 or so years. Yes, fair enough. Two other things that came to my mind about Daryl Morey as, as I try to move off of the coaching staff thing. The the second question that came to my mind after, you know, will Elton Brand hang around was, does this mean that James Harden is destined to Philly? Whether that means a trade sooner than later or just waiting for him to hit free agency in, I think, two years? Uh, Ty, your thoughts on James Harden and if we are destined to see him as a sixer at one point or another? And if so, when you think that may be? I hope it does. I hope that's what it means. That would be that'd be awesome. That's one of the, in my opinion, one of the most interesting, fun players to watch of my lifetime, I would say, or that I can remember watching basketball it, I, just nobody's been able to do what he does on offense uh, that I can remember seeing now I am a little bit younger than you guys so maybe you guys can remember remember players like Michael Jordan more than I can uh, but Harden he, he's kind of like that for me I would say so I think him being in Philly that'd be that'd be really fun to watch I don't think it's going to happen uh, I think the Rockets are probably going to try to keep him for as long as they can. Maybe once he's a little bit older, there's a chance of it. But at this point, I I think it's kind of just it's everyone's default opinion. Oh, you know, he's going to go back to Maury. But I don't know if that I don't know if that's actually based in reality. I mean, here's why I think it could be. And this is purely speculation, but I really feel like. You know, Maury dipped out of there pretty late, and I feel like there has to be more to that than anything that's been reported or speculated on so far, that I really think there must be a difference of opinion there. And I feel like, especially for him, you know, he didn't walk away from basketball like guys did. I mean, he's obviously here now, basically doing the same kind of thing. And what that says to me, in in my mind at least, is that I think the Rockets really want to blow it up because they've yeah. been trying and trying to plug and play guys around him and have gone through salary cap hell and paid a lot of old bad players to try to fit with him and nothing's worked. And I think Maury probably would have just kept at it because I think he's a huge James Harden guy. And I have the feeling that that wasn't really going anymore and he didn't want to sit around while they blew it up. So he gets to come to Philadelphia where you know, there may be some changeover, but they're by no means ready to blow this up in the next two to three years. They're going to continue to try everything they can to, you know, piece together a winner, which is essentially what he was doing for the past, you know, seven plus years anyway. So I think he gets to kind of keep doing what he prefers to do with a team with a lot of talent that's willing to spend. And I think he also feels like this is the kind of place that instead of, plugging people around James Harden you plug James Harden in and maybe that's the solution is instead of trying to figure out all these random pieces around James Harden you go to a place that has that foundation and you plug James Harden into that and see how it works so I I, I'm not saying that it's guaranteed but while I wasn't really considering any of the James Harden talk or speculation prior to Maury's arrival I think there is something to you know, the timing of when he left the situation Houston is in and his choice to come here of all places. I, I think that it's a little bit too perfect to be pure coincidence. Ultimately, I don't think it happens, but at the same time, it's not far-fetched at all. 
when you hire someone like a Daryl Morey, you're doing that not just because he has this prestige and this uh, history of success, but a guy like that, you hire him for the connections. Obviously, he probably has a lot of information or know things that the general public or a lot of people around the league just don't know about. And part of me thinks that, okay, well, Houston, they probably don't want to you know, blow it up. They want to keep part and if anything they might want to offload uh westbrook first but oh, good luck uh yeah good luck with that but i i did read that maury more or less decided a month before he left that he was probably going to leave and that i think they do have a newer owner as well so that didn't help but the other side of the coin here is you know harden's not getting any younger and maybe he just in the next one or two years gets to the point and he says to himself you know what I've carried all these teams on my back and a Chris Paul injury is what kept me from going to the finals. You know, that was probably his best shot of winning a ring. Yeah. Maybe I go to a situation where I don't have to be the guy and let's not forget he was number, you know, three in the pecking order in Oklahoma city behind uh, Durant and Westbrook. He was a six man. Yeah. So yeah, I guess he's not (laughs) technically the the six guy, but definitely the third player there at that time. And, And I mean, we have the money to move around between Horford and, you know, Tobias, a combination of those two would have to go. I don't see a scenario where Maury would trade Simmons or Embiid for him. I don't think that happens. And he does kind of have a history of that where when he came in, I think it was in 08 when he became the manager, he still had uh, T-Mac and Yao Ming. And rather than splitting them up or blowing up the team, he got himself a Shane Battier, who obviously I'm not going to compare him to a Harden, but he was a guy who wasn't quite the guy, but, you know, really good supporting uh, borderline all-star. So he has a history of just making it work. So I I think it could happen. Will it? Maybe not. Uh, I want to hope it does because that will be a fun basketball team to watch. Yeah, I, I I think that a trade would get beat if you don't have Simmons in it, though. That that's my only thing about that. Well, yeah, that that's what most people report as, and I definitely am not doing that because of the fact that James Harden is like thirty-one already, I think, and only has two years of control at a really high cap number. I'm not trading Simmons for that. Plus, I do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, really? I, I, I don't think I can do it. But the other thing. Uh, before I, I ask my last question, which I think will kind of be a, a pretty odd discussion, uh, if we are talking about potential moves and trades, is it, it sounds like there are rumors and whispers out there about the Mavericks being interested in Tobias Harris. And so my question to both of you would be this. If trading Tobias Harris, let's say you know it's more of an unloading trade, you're probably throwing in you know a, a draft pick asset as well, but you're doing that for you know, two guard type players like a, like a Tim Hardaway Jr. or Seth Curry, you know, some combination of those things. You're not getting any kind of star back or even draft capital back. But also that by doing that trade, it means that you are unable to deal Al Horford. Are you doing a deal like that? I'm not, no. And why? As much as we need perimeter shooting and things like that, I don't think – Getting two guys like that will equal the value of Tobias Harris and what he can bring to the team. All of our hopes are that uh, Doc Rivers will bring him back to that Clippers form that we traded for. And I think Tobias Harris, he's going to be one of those players, kind of like Robert Covington in a way, where people just love the shit on him and only talk about what he doesn't do well. But as soon as he's gone, you're going to be like, wow, he did all these other things that they're not going to replace his, you know, output, what he contributes to the team. So I I don't do that. And you lose a guy who is a tweener between a three and a four, and then you're still going to have an even aging Al Horford out there to play four at times. I I don't, I don't see that being an improvement. Yeah. A lot, a lot of that's my concern. I mean, I don't think, I don't think you can compare Tobias to Covington because I don't, I mean, the, the Tobias defenders basically ends at people like, me and and Dan and I guess maybe like Thiago on Twitter and I I know Ty hates him and is always in my text messages <laughs> pissing me off so I, I don't I don't think that that's a fair comparison at all but I do agree that getting two getting two guards that are really bench scorers for a guy that is an above average starting four and can play the three 
is not going to work, especially if you're giving up capital to do so. But obviously, you would be doing so for some kind of cap relief as Tobias's contract if Doc Rivers can't get him back to an L.A. Clippers-esque level uh, is definitely going to be coming out more of an albatross than it is already. The bigger issue with me there is that if it's impacting me getting rid of Al Horford, I mean, I still would rather move Al Horford than Tobias Harris at this point. I think regardless of your opinion on Tobias Harris, you you need to understand that there mm. is some level of upside for him potentially on this team where I really don't see how you're ever getting anything worth what Al, Al Horford's contract is right now. Ty, what do you think? Yeah, so I definitely consider trading Tobias. I am probably looking to see what I could get for him. If I'm Daryl Morey in the Sixers, I don't know if I do that Mavericks trade, but I, I'm definitely looking to see if I can get rid of that contract. Um, trading Horford, I, I I just don't know because I think I think his value is really, really low right now. Um, Tobias's probably is as well just because of how big that contract is. But with Horford, I, I don't know if you can get anybody that's even super useful with him. And I think it might just be best to put him at backup center and just play the most expensive backup center in the league. Um, but <laughs> that sentence hurts so much. Yeah. It, it's not ideal, but when you paid the contract, it's, it, it might be better to, to just go with that rather than force yourself into another bad deal. I would think it's going to be hard to trade either of them uh, and yeah, get ultimately. something that is useful just because they're, they're both overpaid. Yeah. There, there's no doubt about it. And you're, de- you're definitely losing any trade you do with that. There is really no outcome again, re- coming back to the beginning of the episode. That's the only hope with somebody like Daryl Morey is you're really hoping that, you're going to be able to you know, mitigate the damage that one of those deals does if possible because so far everything we've you know, seen thrown at us or rumored is, is pretty brutal, to be honest. And there, there are a few ways I think you could win is if you're attaching a bunch of draft picks or, or something like that or, or somebody like Matisse and Shake, but uh, just trading those players straight up for, to, to another team, I don't think you're going to get uh, something great in return. No, for sure. I agree with you there. The The last thing that kind of came to my mind when hearing about Daryl Morey, and it, it, it sounds like this, you know, I definitely wasn't alone here as uh, as soon as it happened, Pablo Torre did a podcast with uh, former Sixers general manager uh, and, and president of basketball operations, Sam Hinkie, is... Is Daryl Morey, I mean, we, we've had a lot of conversations, kind of meta conversations about where the process was. Was the process over? Uh, you know, are, are we still in it? Is it 20 years long? Is it 10 years long? Is it five years long? And this whole thing just gets weirder and weirder because nothing can, can be normal with the Sixers and, and honestly any team in this town, really, as Ty knows as well, uh, from covering the Phillies and, and what's going on there. But Paulo Torre had Sam Hinkie on a podcast uh, to discuss the recent hiring of Daryl Morey. And before I get into some of the things from that, I just want to ask each of you guys, you know, is Daryl Morey now like a continuation of the process? Is this the final stage of the process or, you know, was the process already dead to you and this is just, you know, business? Steve, we'll start with you. He His uh, time as the... Uh president of basketball operations will definitely be the end of the process because if a few years from now, let's say he gets fired or leaves, that's most likely because shit really hit the fan. And maybe we're at a point where we have to trade one or both of Embiid and Simmons and blow everything up for our sake. I just hope we have some sort of stability in a front office and he's just here for a while as well. It's under good circumstances. It's just, it is a little ironic, though, as much as a lot of people wanted to run Sam Hinkie out of town. We now have the guy who more or less, you know, uh, polished and mentored Sam Hinkie. So there's the irony there. And uh, the interesting thing is that a lot of people may think that, oh, he is another Sam Hinkie. And with the exception of the, the use of advanced analytics, there's a lot things that differentiate Maury from Hinky, 
So I think that's a, a lot of people will realize that uh, pretty quickly, especially if they're able to move a contract like Tobias or Horford. Yeah, I, I think I don't know if he uh, if Daryl Morey is like an extension of Hinky or the process or or however you want to phrase it. But it is kind of cool that they are connected like that, I would say. I think it is definitely an interesting little wrinkle and it, it makes it more interesting to, to follow for fans. I would, I would think, um, I don't know. It's always, it, it's just like, it's like the league and the owners and whoever they were trying to get rid of, trying to get rid of that kind of general manager, that kind of thinking, trying to get rid of Sam Hinkie. And then in the end, they brought in the guy that, basically was his mentor and who worked over him for for however many years before Hinky even came to the Sixers. So it's definitely it's a it's a cool little storyline without a doubt. There's also the argument to be made that I know Dan and I definitely felt this way. The most unfair criticism that uh, Sam Hinky gets is that he never got the chance to see the process out and he was uh, forced basically forced to resign before he had that opportunity, and maybe uh, Maury's uh, work, you know, time in the Sixers, especially if this results in a championship, maybe that's a way of the league or the ownership or whomever is like, you know what, we didn't give Sam Hinkie the opportunity to see not even at least one season out, so maybe Maury's work can kind of retribution for that I, I don't know S- sounds kind of silly but they'll, they'll forever be linked and always talked about so to get to the podcast portion of it again uh, Pablo Torre of ESPN having Sam Hankey on to discuss the Sixers hiring Darren Morey he obviously asked him first you know how he felt about it ha- happening Hankey responded with quote I was stoked I'm stoked now I think it's great news uh, it isn't a good hire. He's a great hire. It's a really big move for a franchise I care a lot about with a bunch of people I care a lot about. I just think it portends really great things for the future for the Sixers. So Hinky obviously still very invested in the team, uh, does not hold any ill will toward them, it sounds like, and and is excited to see you know, his kind of mentor, Daryl Moy, join up with uh, the team that got him into uh, you know the the role that he was in and and the process and things of that nature. Uh, he went on to say that you know he didn't find it weird that you know him and Daryl have a relationship and now he's with the Sixers. Um, he was asked about whether he watches the games or not. And he said he watches when he can. He doesn't watch them all, but he does watch a lot. Uh, what stood out to me was they uh, asked him about his relationship with Joel Embiid and getting to watch him play over the past few seasons since his departure. And Hinky said, quote, I'm a huge fan. He's amazing and has grown a lot, has gotten better and better, and came out in his first game ever and was amazing in that game. So it's great fun for me. And the last thing that I took away from this was something we've talked about way too much, but was interesting to hear Sam Hinky was basically the idea of Embiid and Simmons fitting together and, you know, Hinky stalled on the debate. And he said, quote, I'd be loath for anyone who says the obvious answer is to move on from one or both. Yes, you could trade a young player for an older, better fit player who's not as good. That's for sure. I'm not sure I would. So you can definitely check out that podcast if you want to get the full rundown of Pablo Torre's discussion with Sam Hankey. And shout out our friend and recurring guest Harrison Grimm from Liberty Ballers who wrote an article on the podcast with some of these excerpts. So uh, thanks, Harry. We appreciate that. You guys, you know, your your thoughts on, you know, Hanky still kind of looking around and following this team a little bit. I, I guess I should add one of the other things that was asked was if there was any chance Sam Hanky would return to basketball and or the Sixers. And he said at this point it is 0%. He has moved on from that chapter in his life. So uh, anybody who wants to make any kind of joke or sentiment that Hinky could be back to work with his pal, Maury, it sounds like he has basically shut the door on that right away and said that that is not something that will happen. You know, Steve, any thoughts on on what Sam Hinky had to say there? As far as I'm concerned, it's pretty much status quo. 
uh, he's always been pretty good at dancing around saying anything that would really be interesting for anybody yeah. to talk about and kind of, you know, giving some pretty vanilla responses to a guy who I'm sure if he was really speaking what's on his mind would have far more interesting things to say. Yeah, it sounds like it was Sam just giving more of the same answers uh, in a rare interview, just saying them a little more eloquently and differently. What it what kind of stood out to me is that he definitely slammed the door shut. Like, he's never coming back to the NBA. Uh, if he ever comes back to sports in any kind of role, it's just not in the NBA. He he was blacklisted, man, and the, the, the whole process, whether you agree with the sentiment or not, just nationally up to the commissioner, everyone – Really didn't like what Hanky did, and I just think his reputation, fair or not, just definitely preceded him. And people won't you know what team I think will uh, risk bringing him back. So, um, but it's every once in a while, it seems like what once or twice a year we get an interview or something from Sam Hanky. So it's it's nice to hear from him occasionally. We definitely don't hear from him that often, which is why I think this is nice. I haven't actually listened to the podcast yet. Yeah, I, neither have I. I plan on it tomorrow. I, I'm on I my did. To work. I thought it was, yeah, like you guys said, uh, some of it was like non-answers. He's not going to give his full opinion, but there were some some interesting things that he had had to say. Uh, and one one of the ones that stuck out to me was when he kind of went went a little more in depth about what he thought of Ben Simmons uh, and how it wasn't technically his pick or um, or anything like that, but it, it was the pick that uh, his team, I guess, quote-unquote, earned uh, by being really bad that they got. So he, he said that he watches him. Uh, and he had some interesting things to say about, about Simmons uh, and his development and about, um, you know, his shooting and – he talked about that, and there were some other things that he did go a little more in depth about. So it was it was a good interview. I'd recommend uh, tuning into that. It's almost two hours though, isn't it? Yeah, it was it like was an hour and forty right? minutes, I think. Well, the uh, the only other thing I had, Ty, you actually sent this to us, so I don't, I don't know if if you want to go at it, but it was uh, some of the tweets going on from Chris Heck today, the uh, the Sixers uh, president. Yeah, so. It, it a couple years ago, I, I guess Ben Simmons November was talking about twenty seventeen. Ben Ben Simmons was talking about bringing back the Iverson era black jerseys, and you know it's never really happened since they switched to the current uh, colors that they that they wear now. They wore a little bit different jerseys uh, near the beginning of the process era. I guess a little bit before that, like the Doug Collins era. They, they said Sixers on the front. Uh, these ones now, I guess, say Phila. But uh, Chris Heck, he made it look like they will be considering or, or probably will be bringing back black jerseys in some capacity. Now, the black jerseys, I think, are kind of not the greatest actual jerseys, but uh, the vibe and the and I guess the nostalgia that it brings back for people, like they are pretty cool, even if they aren't like, objectively the greatest jerseys of all time. So I think it'll be cool to to see the current Sixers see Simmons and Embiid wearing uh, those Iverson jerseys if those are exactly what they bring back. So here's here's kind of my thoughts on the whole thing, and I kind of hate having to do jersey talk, but <laughs> here's the thing I think about these ones. I mean, one, they're definite, I'm definitely biased because that was the era that really made me a Sixers fan. Uh, I was a Bulls fan growing up because I was watching Michael Jordan and I didn't know any better because that is pretty much. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie about it, but that's what the only time I watched basketball was with my dad. And the only time he watched basketball was Jordan. So I only watched Michael Jordan for like seven years. And then, you know, once I my stepdad came into my life, he was like, oh, we're going to watch all the Philly teams. And I was like, oh, all right. And then Allen Iverson showed up and I was like, holy shit, this guy's awesome. So that was really where it started for me and I stopped being a front runner, but yeah, full, full disclosure was until then, um, you know, poor parenting. It's been happening to me my whole life. It's not a whole <laughs> lot I could do about it, but so these Sixers jerseys, the, the black ones are, are very, uh, 
important to me, but the, the thing about them is I don't think they're the best Sixers jersey they've ever had, but I feel like they're really going to they, like I feel like they're a great fit for guys like Embiid and Ben, and they're going to look so fucking awesome in them, and I want nothing more than to be able to buy a Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid variant of this jersey, so I am all in, and I'm sure they'll I'm sure they'll touch them up a little bit. So I'm excited to see what they do with them. And I'm not going to be one of those like purists that's going to be pissed if they're not the exact <laughs> jersey from 2001. I hope they you know update them a little bit, but I just want a black jersey. That's that's all yeah. I really care about. If it looks close to this one, that's great. But as long as they make some kind of sweet looking you know black jersey that I can buy for Embiid and Simmons, I'm going to be pretty damn happy. Yeah. Do you uh, think they're going to have like the ridiculously? huge shoulders like they did back in 2001 probably not oh yeah there's but no i hope so because they're way more fun to wear yeah yeah especially as a fat guy that likes to wear tanks in yep. the summer there was you know the, the bigger i don't know what do you call it shoulder part of that jersey i think there's a term for it i forget but uh sure. you know and if you didn't need another reason to feel old dan today 24 years ago, AI made his NBA debut. I saw that. Yep, 30 points, 12 for 19, 6 assists. 30 points in your NBA debut. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous, man. In an era where a lot of games weren't breaking 100. But uh, the, the one reason I bring that up was because when I saw that on social media, uh, those uh, those jerseys from that year are actually my favorite Sixers jerseys. That just, The white jerseys. With the uh, red lettering uh, outlined with the blue, and the numbers were blue. Yeah, uh, I, kind I, of I, on the the names kind of on the angle with the yeah, number I, on the side below yeah, it. Yeah, and I don't know why they're they're nothing special or crazy. It's just it's just kind of like I, maybe old school, old timey, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I would love to see the black jerseys, and I think we're part of me feels that it's. I'm kind of surprised they haven't brought them back yet because that's definitely going to be a moneymaker for them. But I think you, you kind of need to let a good amount of time to pass before you can kind of bring that back as a retro jersey. But here's what I will say is that you kind of have to bring back, you know, the next one or two years. You have to have that uh, old 2000s black jersey. And then the following year, you can bring back that alternative jersey, the blue with that no, same fuck the blue dude the you didn't blue, like it no the blue the blue's good come on the blue's I, bad i i i loved it as I a kid like it. i don't know why i just see the timing for these is perfect I, this is where i thought you were going with it steve is you know it was the you know 2000 2001 team that went to the final so now you yeah. can basically do the 20 year kind of anniversary of of this team being in the finals and bring these back for that exact reason so uh, I think that it's smart that they haven't done it yet. And also because of the fact that they were so bad and became so successful, they didn't really need to do something like this. And now this is the time you do it when it's yeah. starting to falter a little bit. And you kind of need one. You want to cash in on this error one last time before this whole thing potentially goes to even more shit than it already has. D- dude, uh, can, can you imagine if uh, if we are able to go to games next year? And let's say they do a 20-year anniversary of that team, right? Obviously, they bring back AI. They bring back George Lynch, Aaron McKee. He's you know coaching in Temple, so he's available. I don't. I don't and, like where you're going with and, this, dude. Just I can't wait to see how fucking fat Eric Snow is. Oh, that you is thought not, where I, that is not exactly. Where I you were yep, going I, with I tricked it. you. Nope, I wasn't going down to Matt Geiger. Yep, uh, that's exactly nope. what I was waiting. But dude, for. like I know a <laughs> pre-COVID, it kind of went viral. Him with that one photo with like his hands. My fat coaching, you're like, holy shit. Like, he he looked like one of the um, Eddie Murphy's characters in A Nutty Professor. Now that oh there's been almost a whole year of quarantine, it's just going to be like, wait, that's Eric Snow? Oh, my God. Like, so I'll, I'll give you that you tricked me, but if, <laughs> if, if you think that if that moment actually comes that you're going to pay more attention to Eric Snow than Matt Geyer, then you're a fucking liar. So yeah kudos to tricking me but that's also mm-hmm. definitely not how it's going to go for you if that happens. And maybe so. maybe eric snow falls asleep during a ceremony too oh for sure that's, <laughs> that's definitely happening and, and ty can finally uh see the the 01 sixers since he's such a baby yeah i was i was one years old when yeah so you didn't see oh shit my god <laughs> one years old are you even old enough to be on here uh <laughs> probably not yeah probably not all right let, let, let's not talk about it anymore 
that's that's really all I had, uh, guys. I don't know if you guys have anything else uh, to mention or anything you want to talk about, or uh, especially Ty, if you have anything you want to plug from Phillies Nation or anything. Um, nothing really to plug. Just you can follow me at Ty Dobber. You can read my work at on uh, philliesnation.com. I just wanted to say that under Daryl Morey, I think that Furkan Korkmaz will probably be a starter and that will be oh, implemented okay. by the front office. I'm here for it. Let's go. Yeah. I am. I'm all in on that. I'm very, very excited. And, and, and Ty, um, I'm really sorry, buddy. Oh, God. I was rooting for you and Dan for the race to win just because that, that, that means no Del Frisco's for you guys. Right. Was well, that the bet? I'm I'm gonna figure it out. It may take a little longer, yeah. but I'm gonna figure it out. And we're going to invite Furk on. So, yeah, because that that stake changes man's life. Man. It does. Like that's we're, we got to figure out what's going on with the season, so I can figure out when Furkan will be back. And then you know I I got to make some things happen with the money, but I, I still plan on trying to make that okay. happen. Yeah, because wait, Ty, are you even old enough to drink yet? No. Okay. Yeah, you, you, your first legal beer is whatever, but your first steak from Del Frisco's, man. I'm telling you right now, it's going to be better than your first beer when you're 21. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, that so, kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know yeah, anyone wait. who has a very good 21st birthday story. Mine's awful. <laughs> I tried a white Russian, and I love milk, but do not mix milk Mm-mm. with vodka. Oh, my God. It's fucking terrible. Oof. Yeah. I'm writing. I'm writing this down for my birthday. <laughs> Although when I first saw the big Lebowski and saw him just like drinking a carton of milk in a robe while in a grocery store, then always only drinking white Russians. I'm like, okay, there's no way with with how they made this character that a white Russian is any good. Like they just had to pick a bad. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the bit is that I mean, this right. Guy, yeah, this guy's so desensitized to life, and he's a nihilist. Like, so he's not drinking something for pleasure. He's clearly no. drinking it because he hates it and he hates himself. <laughs> that that's the whole point. People don't understand that the nihilist aspect of that movie. No, and it disappoints me. But whatever, I I could get on. We're out of our so. element, Danny. Yeah, a little bit. Um, <laughs> so uh, Ty, again, thank you for coming on. We appreciate you. Love talking to you. Um, let, let's do this more often now that hopefully we're going to, you know, get into maybe some off season, uh, coming up soon, especially if they plan to start this thing, uh, before Christmas, which again, I think is fucking crazy and shouldn't happen and probably doesn't, but for, by all accounts, it sounds like that's the plan as of now. So I'm sure things are going to speed up quickly. Make sure that you guys are following Ty on Twitter at Ty Dauber, and you can follow us as well at Dan says that and at SW Joe's 87. So for Steve and Ty, I'm Dan. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and trust the podcast. Trust the podcast.